All right, if you happen to be our guest this morning and uh, haven't been with us, uh, we've been studying through the minor prophets. They're the 12 smallest writing prophets. They, they wrote the least amount in your Old Testament. There's 12 of them. And we've kind of been studying our way through, these, uh, through the writings of these men. And we're on the prophet Micah. Last week we saw that Micah's main indictment against Israel was their lack of justice or the sin of injustice. And it was the exact same message that Amos had against the northern tribes of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel. It was the same identical message. And you'll remember that Amos and, and Micah were actually contemporaries preaching about the same, same time. We talked about justice issues last week, and we said that justice means that we are to treat everyone equitably, or there should be fairness in society. But we also said that justice, mispat, in, in the Old Testament, meant more than just treating everyone equitably. Justice meant that we help the marginalized, the powerless, and the poor to find a way up. In other words, those of us that are experiencing a life not in poverty or marginalized, we should try our best to help other folks find their way up to where we are as well. Now, one of the difficulties in applying, the, applying this, you know, for, for us today as we study the Scripture is that Israel in the Old Testament really was two separate things. Israel was the nation that God founded. It was the descendants of Abraham when God calls them out of Egypt, makes them a government. And so God demanded of the governmental system of his nation that they were to exercise justice in what they did. But Israel in the Old Testament was also used not just as a designation of the nation that God had created, but Israel was a designation of the people who by faith loved God and followed God. This Israel would often be referred to as, as the true Israel or the spiritual Israel. And, uh, and we should not construe the two of them as the same. There is a difference between them. Now, please hear me quickly in what I'm going to say now, and that is that God desired his nation to be equal to his people, but it, but it never was. As a matter of fact, most of national Israel never followed God. That's why God refers to the true Israel in the Old Testament quite often as the remnant. And so there's a difficulty here in us understanding this relationship to justice as, as Israel because Israel, the nation, was to be just, but also Israel, the spiritual Israel, the Israel that loved God and followed God. God called them to personal justice as well. So as it applies to us today, I, I would say that God would say that the governmental systems of our American country and our American government should seek to be just equitably. They should have equitability amongst people. They should seek to raise up people who are marginalized and powerless. But as it applies to us as followers of Jesus, I want to say this. We have a responsibility, whether our government does or not, we have a responsibility as individual followers of Jesus and part of the spiritual Israel of God, the true sons and daughters of God. We have a responsibility to exercise personal justice. Now, last week I told you that Micah is really a compilation of three different oracles, three talks that Micah delivered. We don't know exactly when he delivered them, but each of the talks is divided into a, an indictment by Micah against Israel. And then the second half of each oracle is a promise 
for future restoration, a promise of, of good things to come. But this becomes a little bit difficult for us to understand as well. Let me tell you why. Because some of the promises are directed towards the nation of Israel, and some of them are directed towards God's people, Israel, that remnant, that spiritual Israel that loved God and followed God. Let me show you an example of a, of a promise that was directed definitely to national, to the nation of Israel. 4.10 of Micah says, Keep on groaning with pain, you people of Jerusalem. If you escape your city to the countryside, you will still be taken as prisoners by Babylonia. But later I will rescue you from your enemies. Now that's, that's a, that is a promise to national Israel. It is a promise that we saw come true. Babylon came down, destroyed, or, or basically ransacked Judah, took them captive, and then 70 years later, they restored. Another they were restored by God. Another prophecy for national Israel would be found in Micah 7, 8, where it says, my enemies don't be glad because of my troubles. I may have fallen, but I will get up. I may be sitting in the dark, but the Lord is my light. I have sinned against the Lord, and so I must endure his anger until he comes to my defense. But I know that I will see him make making things right for me and leading me to the light. You, my enemy, said, the Lord is helpless. Now each of you will be disgraced and put unto shame. And I will see you trampled like mud in the street. Towns of Judah, the day is coming when your walls will be rebuilt and your boundaries enlarged. People will flock to you from Assyria and Egypt and from Babylonia and everywhere else. Those nations will suffer disaster of what, because of what they have done. So here's the promise to national Israel. Yes, God's going to judge us. God's going to remove us from the land for 70 years. But we're going to come back. We're going to come back from Babylon, from Assyria. We're going to come back from all over the world. We're going to be restored to our land. And God is going to judge those, those nations. Well, that was a promise to national Israel. There are many prophecies that the prophets make, and we've looked at a number of them, where God is speaking past the nation Israel, and he's speaking to his Israel by faith. He's speaking to the remnant of people who love him and follow him. And many of those promises are looking to a day when God's going to restore all of Eden. He's going to restore the world to where it once was before the fall. <clears throat> and so a lot of these promises are looking to that time when, when God will restore Eden, okay? And, and the true Israel of God, both made up of, of Jewish Israelis and of non-Jewish folks, Gentiles like you and me, God's going to restore us all into one true kingdom of Israel. And the new city of Jerusalem will come down from heaven and Jesus will sit as king over all of that. Now, Micah has some of those promises, and I don't have time this morning to deal with a, a bunch of them. I'm only going to choose one. And because it's Christmas, because it's the celebration of the coming of Christ, we're going to look at one of those which I believe speaks specifically to this. And it's the prophecy found in Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, turn to, to Micah chapter 5, 1 through 5, and we're going to spend some time and we're going to look at this one prophecy that I believe speaks beyond the nation of Israel and speaks to, to God's, God's Israel by faith, all right? So chapter 5, verse 1, now muster yourselves in troops, daughters of troops. They have laid siege against us with a rod. They will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrata, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. And then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise 
and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. Now, the reason that I believe this prophecy looks beyond national Israel to the true Israel and to all that God has planned in the future is because the New Testament tells us so. The New, Te- New Testament tells us that this is a prophecy about Jesus, and it's about the coming King who is to reign over all things. So the New Testament tells us this is not just talking about a King for Israel, national Israel. This is talking about a King for all times and for all men. Let me remind you of the story. We've already talked about it a little bit, but the astrologers and the wise men who found themselves in what is modern-day Iraq today, probably in the empires of Babylon and Persia, out in the west, they saw a star. From where they were in the east, they saw a star in the west. And, And they had prophecies about this special king who was to be born. And when they saw the star, they said, hey, the king has been born. We need to go and find this king. And so they gathered some gifts to bring to him, and they set out from their land in the east, Again, most likely present-day Iraq, they set out from there and they went looking for this king. The star led them to Israel. When they got to Israel, they did what probably anybody would have done. They said, well, this is a king. This is a great king who's been born. Most likely he's been born to the king who is sitting now. And so they went to the king and said, tell us about this king who's been born. The king in Israel at the time was King Herod. He was, he was King Herod the Great. He was a great king, but he was a, a godless man. He was an evil and wicked man, and he was a very jealous man. And so when he heard this, he said, I don't know what you're talking about, but let's bring the, let's bring the wise men in from Israel. Let's ask them. And so the wise men come in, and, and they said, you know about a king that's to be born in Israel? And they say, yes, the anointed future king, the son of David, is going to be born, and he's going to be coming from Bethlehem. How did they know that? They knew that because of Micah's prophecy. And so they directed the wise men to Bethlehem. Now you'll remember that in the story, the wise men don't return because God warns them, but they go to Bethlehem and there they they find the child. Now I've told this, this little kind of, I think, cutesy story about American tourists over in Europe, and they're walking, and they're just admiring this great town, and they find a guy who's lived in the town his entire life, and one of the American tourists is just like, just, he says, man, were any great men born in this town? And the man replied, he said, no, sir, only babies. And, uh, but that's, that's true of every other town, but that's not true of Bethlehem, because the one born in Bethlehem was great from the very beginning. The Bible says that he was divine from the start. So chapter 5, verse 1, look at it with me. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughters of troops. They have laid siege against us with a rod. They will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. Now I believe what Micah is talking about here is he's talking about the fall of Judah to Babylon. Now really, I'm going to, I'm going to do some interpreting, okay? But this is what I believe based on what I read and all. I believe that chapter 5, verse 1, is speaking to the fall of, of, of Judah in just a few years when Babylon will come and they will smite the king of Israel on the face. And at that point, that'll be the end of King David's line. No king of David will follow after that. No more kings will sit on David's throne after the Babylonian exile. In verse 2 it says, but God says in verse 2 as he continues, but from you, Bethlehem, one will go forth for me to rule my people. So we know today that that person that would come forth from Bethlehem was Jesus. He'd be born in Bethlehem. 
He'd be raised in Nazareth. He would preach in Judah and Galilee. He would be crucified in Jerusalem. He would rise from the dead in Jerusalem. And he would be raised to rule the world as King of kings and Lord of lords. So what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to go back through Micah's text. And I'd like to show you seven things that Micah Seven things that I believe Micah is alluding to and pointing to when he talks about this one who would come. And again, again, we, we get the benefit of hindsight. They're, they're, they're foresight. These are things that are predicting what is coming. But for us, these are things that we look back on, and these are things that would be true of the Lord Jesus. So here's what I want you to do this morning. As you listen and as you follow, is I would like you to be encouraged. I would like you to be encouraged today by the one who's come for us, all right? So chapter uh, 5, verse 2, God says, from you, Bethlehem, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Here's what Micah says first, Jesus, or this coming king, he would be an eternal king. We know him to be Jesus, so from here on out, I'm just going to call him Jesus. Jesus would be an eternal king. Now in the context, we could probably interpret what Micah said, and we could probably say that he's speaking metaphorically, and he's talking about the monarchy. He's talking about David's line. David comes from a long line of kings, or the Messiah would come. This, this king who's coming would come from David's line from a long time ago. But in, in the text itself, the way it reads, that's really not what it says. What it says is the king himself would be one whose goings were eternal. Now remember this, the Bible interprets the Bible. So here's what we know. The Bible helps us understand in this place what is being said in this place. Now we talked about this prophecy already, but in Isaiah, a contemporary of Micah, Isaiah wrote this in chapter 9, verse 6, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Micah refers to his days as his days going forth from eternity. He is the eternal God. According to, to Isaiah, according to Micah, this king who was to be born, he was going to have days of old. He was going to be the eternal God. And that's what the Bible tells us about the coming of Jesus, that it was God become one of his creatures, okay? God took on our nature. So when Jesus was born, it wasn't the beginning of Jesus, Jesus was from all eternity. Now listen to me carefully. I think you all know this, but when you were conceived by your parents, when your parents came together and you, and you became a living being in your mother's womb, you had a point of origin. You had a point of beginning. But Jesus, the, the eternal Son of God, did not have that same beginning. His goings forth were from eternity. I mean, he was the eternal God, and the eternal God joined himself to our humanity, and he became the God-man. And if you were here for Bible study this morning, the passage that we looked at, looked at said this, that becoming the God-man, Jesus took on, emptied himself, took on, I believe, the limitations of our humanity. And so what I believe that means is this, that Jesus, in lowering himself, you know, there were certain things that he surrendered. There were certain things that he gave up. Now, let me be clear. He, he didn't give up his divinity. His nature was still the same. He was still the loving, wise, holy, righteous God that he always was. But in joining himself to our humanity, you know, he became like us. And with that came on certain limitations. 
But Micah makes it clear, and you and I need to understand, that this king that was going to come, this king that was going to come was going to be the eternal, he was going to be eternal in nature. He wasn't going to have a beginning like you and I had. He was going to be from, from all eternity. The second thing that Micah says about Jesus was that this coming king was going to be of the line of David. Look at verse 3. Therefore, God, he, God, will give them up, give who up? Give up the line of David until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Here's what I think God meant. He was giving up on the line of David, giving up in the sense that there would be no king sitting on David's earthly throne until this woman bore a child. After the Babylonian exile, King David's line didn't sit on the throne until Jesus came. When Jesus came, born of Mary, born of the line of David, Jesus was declared the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He was declared the, he was declared the King of Israel. Even Pilate wrote above his cross, the King of the Jews. He meant it as a joke, but that's who Jesus was. Jesus was the son of David. He was the promised king. Now, one of the things, if you were paying attention in the little video we watched this morning, and I know I've seen it a bunch of times, and you all maybe just saw it for the first time, but if you'll remember in there, it talked about how God promised David that one of his line would always sit on the throne. Do you remember that? And yet with the exile, when, when, when Babylon came and destroyed Israel, David's line was removed. And so for the next hundreds of years, there is no king of David sitting on the throne of David until Jesus comes. Let me go back to 2 Samuel 7. And again, I'm not going to read the text for time, but if, you want to, if you're taking notes, write this down. 2 Samuel chapter 7, God gives some promises to David. Let me tell you what they are. He says, number one, this promised king, this anointed king that's coming, all right, he would be your descendant. God told David that. Hey, the one who's going to come is going to come from you. 2 Samuel 7, 12. This descendant, God says to David, he said, this descendant will build a house for God, 2 Samuel 7, 13. 2 Peter tells us that we are the house that Jesus is building. Number three, God said, as, uh, as David was his father, so he too would be his father, so that this king would be called the son of God, 2 Samuel 7, 14. Now, now, let me tell you, back in the day when Micah made that prophecy, it, does not care, it did not carry the understanding that it carries with us today, that Jesus is both us, human, and yet he is God, and God combines himself to our creatureliness without denying his divinity, without taking anything away from his godhood, not taking anything away from his humanity, God couples himself together as the God-man. Man, that, that thing that God promised David in 2 Samuel 7, 14, man, it takes on a whole new understanding for us that Jesus is the Son of Man and the Son of God. He goes on and he says, God says to David, when he does sin, God would discipline him with the blows of men. You see, that's verse 14. You say, but wait a minute, Jesus never sinned. And that is true. Jesus never sinned. But here it says, God says, but when he does sin, God would discipline him with the blows of men. I believe that what God's talking about there is Jesus taking on our sin. The Bible says that he became our sin and he bore the blows for our sin. Isaiah chapter 53. So you go and look. He took on our blows. That's what God's talking about. God goes on. God would never leave the son, 2 Samuel 14 through 15. And David's bloodline and kingdom is to be established in this king forever and ever and ever, 2 Samuel 7, 13 through 16. Many thought David's line was lost forever. 
Many thought they would never come back. But when Jesus was born of Mary, when the son of David came forth, God had given them up, the line of David, till that point. And at this point, the line of David is back, and Jesus is Lord. Number three, Jesus would rule over all the sons of Israel. He goes on in the text, and Micah says, Then the remainder of his brethren will be returned to the sons of Israel. I think what God's talking about there is that when this king comes, all the sons of God will return to this king. And in this case, I think the sons of Israel that are going to return are all of us, both Jews and Gentiles who follow Jesus, will all return to this king, and we will follow this king. Now, I think Micah's alluding to He's alluding to a mystery that wasn't revealed until Jesus came. Follow me. The Bible talks about this great mystery that, was, that God would reveal in Christ. And here was the mystery. And that is that God's true Israel is comprised not just of Jewish people, but of Gentile people alike who love and follow God. Specifically, that Jesus would be the king of all of us, and we would all be in his kingdom, under his rule, and under his reign. Paul speaks of this mystery in nearly every chapter, excuse me, in every book of the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, you listen. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, by revelation there has been made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. To be specific, I'm going to skip to verse 6. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the good news, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which has been given to me according to the working of his power. In Galatians, he makes it even more clear. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 6, even so, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Drop down, same chapter, verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ Jesus. Clothe yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise made to Abraham. Now, I know this is heavy, and maybe I'm losing some of you, but I'm excited about this because Micah was telling us that the sons of God would return to this king, and that's all of us. We would come to this king, and Jesus would be our king. He would be the king over all of us. National Israel, God's nation, uh, was established and set up for this purpose to draw men to Christ. And, and out of that national Israel will come this kingdom that Jesus will rule over. Jesus is king of all men. He's king of all men. And in the end, there will only be one nation, the nation of God. Or maybe it will be called the nation of Israel. But it will be one nation under Christ. Number four. Number four. Am I on Number four. I think I'm on number four. Jesus would be a shepherd. Look at verse four. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. So here's Micah. He's telling everybody. He says, look, God's going to strike the judge of Israel. 
I think that's talking about the king. I think it's talking about David's line. He's going to strike David's line. David's line is going to be cut off until she gives birth. Who's she giving birth to? She's giving birth to Jesus. Who's Jesus going to be? He's going to be the king that all the sons of Israel will come to or return to. And who is this son going to be? Who is this king going to be? He's going to be the shepherd of his flock. He's going to shepherd the flock with power and with majesty, okay, with both of those things. Both God himself and Jesus are called this great shepherd. Here's Psalm 23. I know you know it by heart, but listen. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's probably one of the richest and best-known passages in the Bible. You know what it tells us? It tells us God is our shepherd, and as a shepherd, he's going to comfort us, he's going to care for us, he's going to confront us when it's needed, and in the end, we're going to be with him forever. That's what it says. But you know, in the New Testament, Jesus, John 10, is called the good shepherd. Listen to this one. I am the good, Jesus is speaking, I am the good shepherd. Remember this king who's going to shepherd us? I am the good shepherd. I'm the king. I'm the shepherd of Micah chapter 5. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. He's not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. By the way, I think that's talking about us. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. This commandment I receive from my Father. I love Jesus' words. Did you not hear him? Here's what he says. I'm not a hireling. I'm not in this for money. I'm in this because you are my sheep. I'm in this because I'm your shepherd. I'm in this because I love you, and I'm never going to let anything happen to you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to keep you. Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you have continually strayed like sheep, but you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Jesus is the shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's the shepherd who is going to shepherd us with power and with, with splendor. Number five, Jesus would rule forever, verse 5. And they will remain because at that time he will, he will be great to the ends of the earth. And so these that come to Jesus, Jesus says they will remain. And here's the point that I think Jesus is making, is that he is going to reign forever, and we, his sheep, are going to be with him. We're going to remain with him. We're never going to be lost to him. Even Micah in his last chapter, Micah 4, 7 says, I will make the lame a remnant and the outcast a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on and forever. 
Remember the words of Isaiah chapter 9? We read it just a moment ago. We saw it just a moment ago. We sang it. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Then Revelation chapter 22, there will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and the Lamb will be, will be in it and His bondservants will serve Him and they'll see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. That's talking about us. And there will be no longer any night. There'll be no longer any need for a lamp or the light of the sun because God Himself will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. I told everybody this morning in the prayer meeting, it kept going over my head, you know, the, the hallelujah chorus. But I mean, that's been just going through my head all morning long. He shall reign forever and ever. Our Christ, our King, our risen Lord is going to be Lord forever and ever and ever. And then it goes on. Jesus would rule not just forever, but he'll rule over all the earth. And they will remain because at that time, he will be great to the ends of the earth. I've already alluded to this one as well. But Jesus is not going to just rule the little land of Israel. Jesus is going to rule over all the earth. All the earth will be his. He's not just going to be Lord over national Israel or the nation of Israel. He will be the Lord over all creation. Revelation 11, verse 15, the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there will be a loud voice. There was loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever and ever. The world will indeed be a theocracy, everyone. Listen, we need not fear a theocracy. People, people say that we Christians want a theocracy in America. I don't want a theocracy in America. We're too fallen to have a theocracy in America. But I'm telling you what, I'm looking forward to a theocracy in the day to come. I'm looking forward. If you don't know what a theocracy is, that's a place where God rules. And God is going to rule his kingdom as, as Lord of lords, king of kings. And listen, and you know, we won't have this fallen selfish nature. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know this. The world will be in its pristine condition from the Garden of Eden. It'll be just like God desired it to be from the beginning. And righteousness, personal righteousness, and corporate societal justice will be the rule of the day forever because our King Jesus is going to rule over all the earth. Earth. There won't be one place in all of creation that is not subjected to Christ. That's not under his rule. And then the final thing, Jesus is our peace in verse 5. This one will be our peace. This king, this one who's coming, who's going to reign over everything, who's going to reign over all the world, who's going to reign forever, under which all the sons of Israel will return. This one will be our peace. It reminds me of Isaiah 9 again. You know where it talks about the child, he, in, in, unto us a child is given, and he would be the prince of peace, it says. He's going to be the prince of peace. What did, what did Isaiah and Micah mean when it says that Jesus is going to be our peace? Well, it's two things. Number one, he means this, Jesus is our peace between each other. Jesus brings peace to all of us. We, we can have peace with one another even now. I mean, there's coming a day when there'll be peace on earth, goodwill to all men. Because Jesus will have redeemed it all. But, but even now, we, I mean, it's like in the video, Jesus wants to, he wants to change me from being this selfish person who's all about me to being someone who's all about others, who's letting Jesus live through him. So in Ephesians 2.14, Paul writes, 
For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh, in his life, the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put death put to death their hostility. Now, in Paul's specific focus, he's talking about how God has made, has God has brought Jews and Gentiles, all of us together in one body under Christ. That's the specific application. But, but I'm going to take this and I'm going to say, you know, God has made us one body in Christ, all of us believers. He's brought unity. He's removed the hostility between all of us. All of us should be able to find the grace of God in Christ who dwells within us to live in harmony and in forgiveness. To, to live preferring one another is more important than ourselves. Can I tell you, though, you've got to put to death the old man. You've got to, we've got to somehow... As the Bible says, crucify the old Jimmy and let Christ live through me. I got to do that. You've got to do that. But Jesus is our peace. He made it possible for us to have peace with one another. We don't have to fight everybody. We, we, don't, we don't have to, we, you know, when somebody trips up and, and offends me, which is really hard to offend me, but let's just say they did, you know, it's, it's God's given me what I need to not hold that against them. To, to, not, to not hold grudges, to not walk the other way when I see them coming, to not close myself off from them, but, but to love them anyway, and, and to love them past all of that stuff. Because most of the time when somebody offends us, most of the time they don't, even, they don't even know they're doing it. But let's just say they do, even when they do. God has given me the ability to forgive them in Christ. Now, there's a second thing, though, that the peace of God, the peace that Jesus brings, and this is maybe more important than that first one. I mean, the first one flows out of this one, and it's this, that Jesus becomes our peace with God. The fifth chapter of Romans starts off like this, therefore, having been justified by faith, we're not saved by faith, we're saved by the death of Christ. Jesus bore our sins. It is all of Jesus, nothing of us. But having been justified by our faith, the death of Christ applied to our lives, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through Jesus, okay? We were at enmity with God. The, the, the chapter continues in verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? When I was an enemy of God, that's when God reached out and, and God be, was willing to become a creature like me so that I could be forgiven. That's when God did that for me, not when I had it all right, not, not, when I, not when I was living this great, glorious, good life, God said, oh man, Jimmy is so worthy for me to die for him. That's not how it went down at all. It's like when, when Jimmy and the rest of you were so undeserving of God's grace, that's when God would love you. And that's when God would be willing to do all this for you. And so through the Lord Jesus, we now have peace with God, the enmity, the the. the, the, the the broken relationship that happened between us and God because of our sin, God's reconciled it. Jesus took the snake bite for us so that he could touch our life and begin to bring, you know, bring healing, bring life, bring forgiveness to us. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, that hostility between us and him, it's been done away with. And today I have peace with God because of Christ. The Greek root word for peace conveys union. God has 
God has brought union between us and him. I'm almost done. Stay with me. Here's one more thought about that. You know, when, when, two peace, when two countries make peace, they don't necessarily become best of friends, right? But when God made peace with us, he said, I want you as my son. I want to make peace with you, but I want you as my son. I want you to be mine. And he adopted us into his family so that we become the children of God. So let me conclude. Micah prophesied and God fulfilled it and Jesus was born. The eternal God became a creature like us, okay, born to rule, born to bring us peace, peace with each other, peace with God, born to be overall and forever. 1 Corinthians 15, this, is, this has become a great verse for me. I've read it here recently several times over the last month or two. But 1 Corinthians 15, 22 and following says, and you just listen, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ at his second coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God and the Father, and fa- to God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be abolished is death, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it's evident that he's accepting the, accepting the one uh, who put all things in subjection. That didn't, that didn't read right. Let me, here's what it says. It's saying that Jesus, all things will be brought under Jesus except God who gave him the power to do so. Verse 28, when all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. Here's what that Corinthian passage says. There's coming a day when Jesus will rule over all things. And when all things are under Jesus, then Jesus is going to give, his, give all of this to God the Father. And God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, they will rule over all things forever and ever. Ephesians 1.9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be, put, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So there's coming a day when all things are going to be brought into this kingdom, Micah prophesied. I'm done. Here's my closing, here's my closing request. This morning, I want to invite you to follow Jesus. I want to invite you to follow Jesus. Listen, I I know we celebrate the babe in the manger, but listen, that was how Jesus came, so he'd become like us. But, but, But that boy, that man grew up. That man lived a sinless life. That man died for you. That man rose again so that you can have eternal life, so you can rise yourself from the dead. So you one day, though we will bury everybody in this room, Not one of you is going to make it out of here alive unless Jesus comes first. You're all going to die. But you don't have to stay dead. You can rise again to eternal life. And I want to offer that to you this morning. And I want to to invite you to choose today to become a follower of Jesus. I want to invite you to choose to follow this king that Micah said was coming and that we know has come. I want to invite you to follow him. I've been following him for, for 45 years now or so. It's, yeah, it's probably been that long. I've been following him for a long time. And you know what? I, he's changed my life. 
He's changed me. He's changed me from the end. No, not perfect, but he's changed me. And I'll tell you something else that he's done. He's given me hope, hope of eternal life with him. I want to invite all of you to follow this Jesus and to have the same hope. I really do. I want you this morning to say, Lord, I believe and I'm going to follow Jesus. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And this, this is your, this is, it's really between you and God. It's not between you and anybody else. It's between you and God. You know, you begin to follow Jesus, I believe, personally. Now, communities like our church family, I mean, it's probably been influencing some of you and, uh, and, and all, and that's good. But you know what? This, this thing about following Jesus, it's between you and him. And I want to invite you this morning, right where you sit, on this Christmas Eve, to say, I believe and I want to follow Jesus. You just tell him that in your heart. You say, well, Pastor Jimmy, I don't know how to do that. You know, what do I say? You just, just tell him what's in your heart. Say, hey, I, I want to follow you. I, I, want, to, I want to belong to you. I, I want you to take my sins so that I can be forgiven, have peace with God and peace with others. I want you to, you know, the, the selfishness, the sinfulness in my heart, I want you to begin to change that so that I'm not the same man or woman. Right where you sit right now, just in your own words, you just tell God, God, I want to follow Jesus. Amen. Now look up at me. Jesus said, if any man wishes to come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. So here's the first step in following Jesus. If you're here this morning and you've been one who said, I want to follow Jesus, then here's what, here's what you need to do. You need to step up. You need to deny yourself. You need to follow him. And the first step of following Jesus is saying, you know, Lord, I'm willing to follow you. I, I, I want the world to know. Jesus said, make sure you tell everybody that you're now my follower. That's the next step for you. And so I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to ask you to speak, come forward. But this is what I am going to ask you. If you're here this morning and you decided to follow Jesus, it's now your turn to step up. So I invite you to say to me this morning, to say to a friend, say to someone, I'm a follower of Jesus. Today, this morning, I decided to follow Jesus. And then we'll help you go from there, okay? Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for, um, thank you for Micah's word. And uh, Lord, I pray that, that we would be faithful to, to share it with others. David said that as we began this morning. I'm saying it now, Lord, would you help us to be faithful to, to share the word that Christ has come, that, that the king that Micah said would come has come, and you live and you reign and you are king over all things forever and ever. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us on the web at www.baconscastle.com.